I'm Judy Perlman. Welcome to Meet the Problem Solvers. Glad to be back. We've been away for a couple of weeks. We have a very interesting show tonight with a, a former colleague and dear friend, Caitlin Fermeri. I'll tell you a little bit about her in a second, but I just, for people who may not have seen the show recently or don't quite know what we're doing here, it's called Meet the Problem Solvers because what we do is on each episode, we talk to a guest or a couple of guests about some really meaty, important pressing social issue that they've given some serious thought to. We take about 10 minutes to unpack the issue. We take about 10 minutes to think about solutions that they and perhaps others have in motion or have achieved and what does success look like. And then we try to end each show asking ourselves, what can we do to be contributors on this issue? So without further ado, Caitlin is um, a very accomplished woman. She is the executive director of the Rhode Island Coalition for the Homeless. Before that, she worked in a variety of government and um, social service, municipal government, federal, and state government. There we go. Now she's running this large nonprofit in, in Rhode Island. And she actually continues to work as a clinical social worker in a local hospital, working in the emergency room with kids and families. So she's a busy woman. Yeah. yeah. I'm not too busy to come and hang out with you. Thank you so much for having yeah, me, Judy. I love you. the premise. Yeah, it's a cool premise. And what we're going to try to do today is really to unpack a simple question. How can we get more money to support people who are experiencing homelessness and those who are at risk of experiencing homelessness. It's really about getting more money to the problem. Right, and I think you're not surprised to, to hear that the mission of my organization and really my life has been about ending homelessness. And I live and work in Rhode Island, so a lot of that work has been focused in, in, in that state, but it's certainly a problem that when I worked for the federal government, we would travel around on, and that's some of what mm -hmm. we got to do together, which was really fun. Um, one of the, the challenges that we face in, in homelessness and in poverty is that the we know how to fix it, right? The way to end homelessness is to house people, but the actual doing of that is, is very challenging with the resources that are typically allocated. And so you have a lot of non-for-profits and even somebody day to day who might be experiencing housing insecurity, you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul to make it work and it's never really funded at the level that it needs to be. And so we know what to do, it's just the resources aren't always there. Right. And so this is something that I'm trying to to find avenues to achieve the level of support uh, that we need in my community to really make a difference. So in helping prepare for this show, I guess I just wanted to really break this down to some really basic building blocks. And so I'm gonna right. beg your forbearance. And if this is oversimplistic for viewers, I apologize. But you know, when we met a few minutes ago, we were in a coffee shop and I was like, you know what? Let's talk about the business model of a coffee shop. Someone needs something. They come in, they're hungry. They ask for it, the person gives it to them, and they pay money for it, and they go sit down at the coffee shop and they eat their thing, whatever it is. That's one kind of a transaction. That's a very simple, direct one. With a nonprofit, it's more complicated. Think about, for example, a meals program. Someone comes in and they're hungry, they go up to the counter and they get food and that's great and they eat. 
the infrastructure behind getting that food cooked and to them is more complicated. The nonprofit probably had to raise money, whether they have a big gala or they send out fundraising yep. letters. Volunteers, volunteers donations. Donations, foundation grants, the foundation, you know, that you write a proposal and you get a grant. So it's still somebody getting food across a counter, but getting the money to get that person the food was more complicated. Circuitous yet. is Circuitous. a good word, I think. Yes. Yeah. And one of the things we were also talking about that we know is that fundraising for social justice and social service activities is kind of thankless. You get these small pieces of money one at a time, one a, one a year from, and, and it's a really a sustained thing that you need to spend a lot of time and energy raising those dollars. So what Caitlin has been thinking a lot about is basically kind of borrowing the strategy that big business has been using for a while and some large nonprofits like hospitals and other big nonprofit providers have also used for a while. And it's really about getting into the political world. Right. And I think one of the analogies, so with the Coalition for the Homeless in Rhode Island, we're not typically a service provider. We're an advocacy organization. We're a system organization. And so when I'm trying to introduce to someone what is it that the coalition does and, and why our work is important, I end up telling us a little story. So uh, I'll ask you all at home that are watching to imagine that you are at a park, you're, it's a lovely day, you're out walking, there's a stream or a river that's um, near you that you're walking along, and you encounter a um, something floating in the water and you walk closer to it because you're not really sure what it is and you see as you approach it, that it's it's actually a child. It's a baby that's in that water. And so like any concerned citizen, you go in and you pull that baby to shore and you're trying to save it. The baby's ultimately okay. And so you, you're just kind of settling in and that you notice out of the corner of your eye that there's another baby that's floating down the river. And so you, you set that baby down, it's good, and you jump in and you grab the other baby and you bring it. And as you're doing this, you're noticing that there are more and more children that are floating down this river in perilous danger. And so you are trying to pull in every, the dog walker, the family that's picketing, can we get everybody to go in and jump in and save these kids? And then there's someone that you're you're kind of motioning and they're they're like, no, I'm not going to do this. And you're like, are you crazy? You've got to save these children. And that person says, well, I'm going to go upstream and find out who's throwing these babies, these children, our children, in the river and get them to stop. And I think that's really what coalition work and, and really advocacy work ends up being about is, you know, you need to still help that person that's drowning get out of the river on an individual basis. That absolutely needs to happen. But if we're not going upstream to the systems and the the larger entities that are playing a role in whether it's homelessness or animal welfare or environmental justice, um, then we're really just putting band-aids on a problem that ultimately will end up costing us more time and, and people's lives at the end of the day. So what I've thought a lot about as a coalition is the lobbying and the supportive work that we've done as an advocacy organization historically has gotten us some wins in Rhode Island. We were the first state to get a homeless bill of rights passed. But when we've actually tried to pursue increased funding, dedicated funding streams for affordable housing, homelessness, we've just not gotten all the way there, not gotten there to match the, the demand that we see. On any given night, we have over a thousand 
um, individuals that are homeless in our state that we're you know trying feverishly to house. So then I started to think, well, what do we do? need to do differently. And that's when I thought a lot about what you mentioned, where, well, who are the, the people that are getting things passed through our state house or our municipal government or even at a federal level? And what are they doing differently? What are they doing that we're not doing? Um, and so that's when I started to think about taking our advocacy up a level and looking at alternatives to, you know, do we not need to get more politically involved? Do we need to have the movement of ending homelessness or trying to prevent animal um, animal abuse and, and animal welfare, do they need to have PACs or C4s or some of these, I know these terms are, I, I can explain a little bit more, but they're, they're really political kind of campaigns in a way that you're getting donors together who are saying we're committed to this issue or this elected official and, and really trying to mobilize funds in a different way than maybe we're typical for um, social nonprofits. Mm -hmm. So that's something I've thought a lot about. Yeah, I, it's, it's clear that you have. And it's interesting because we were talking again, um, talking a little bit earlier about um, when I was running my nonprofit, right, 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 we did a great thing for ourselves, not for ourselves, but for the kids in our program. We uh, really educated a local elected official about our services for kids, after school programming for homeless kids. Um, and he got really excited about it. And he very thoughtfully and graciously wrote what's called an earmark. Yep. And that organization got money every year through the state legislature for that program and served many children through that. Right. But again, that's sort of like one level. Right. And what Caitlin is talking about is not only going back a level in terms of the impact, right. so those kids wouldn't be homeless because their families would have had been... Had this contribution, yeah, this support, absolutely. Right. Would have had that support so upriver, but also it's a way of working with legislators in a different way. Not necessarily one organization to one legislator, right. but really kind of bringing more legislators together around an issue... Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really bringing it around as a larger community. And I think that's one of the things that's really important is, you know, I, I think that people should have a right to shelter. I think they should have a right to, to housing and that, that really housing should be a basic human right. And so then the work of, I think, people that are in this space is really about how do you make that a reality. And I think that's much probably smaller asks that fit into a larger um, a larger plan, but it's really that legislative work. And it's so great that you guys had the force, the, the relationship to be able to, to garner, but there are some non-for-profits that, that don't necessarily even have the capacity to do that. Um, and so I think one of the things that I would love to see is, you know, when you at the end of your year are making your contributions to your local charitable organizations and the causes that you care about, you know, asking them questions about, well, what are the the political needs that they might have? Could you call your state rep about the, the concerns that they might have? Because legislators, at least in Rhode Island, they don't always hear from their constituents. Yeah. And so when you do call, it makes a really, really big difference. Yeah. And really the state house and, and the this whatever city municipal building that's our house, right? This is our um, our government. And I think there's a lot that just even a call can do. But then even beyond that, maybe asking your nonprofit, you know, do you have, um, you know, a legislative agenda? Does the larger group of that social movement have a legislative agenda? 
communications is also really, really powerful. And I think um, making sure that people understand the challenges and the need, and not just through a fundraising lens to get more money to the organization from donors, but really um, for the larger state. And you know, one of the things we want to end homelessness, obviously, I've had a lot of uh, for-profit um, companies have asked, well, how much would that cost? You know, maybe that's a contribution they would make. And so I'll kind of run the math and depending on when they're talking about it in the population, I might say, you know, and I'm just kind of saying roughly, you know, anywhere from 10 or $20 million a year in Rhode Island additionally is what I, I might need to really make sure that we've ended homelessness. And they're up with me until I say a year. And that's when I lose right. them because the it's really time. challenging. And I can understand why for a, a sponsor or a corporate partner or even a, a grouping of them to commit to funding something long term. And so then when I started to have that realization, I really came back to the, the people that are positioned to do that are the state, local and federal government. Um, that they're the ones that can contribute and we still need private philanthropy, but they can be the add-in and maybe not the one kind of carrying it forward. And so that was when I was like, oh, we need to, to think about this a yeah. little differently. Okay, well, this is Meet the Problem Solvers. We've certainly unpacked some parts of a problem, which is how do you underwrite the costs of social justice? Um, I'm Judy Perlman, and this is my guest tonight is Caitlin Fermeri, who came up from Rhode Island to share some of her thoughts on basically reshaping the financial and investment picture to support social justice activities. And it's very important work. And so, as I said, we kind of have gotten through unpacking the problem. Now let's look at some of the solutions. And I, I think you started talking about that. Yeah, yeah. I think to kind of more specifically, um, I think it's really important just on your own individual family level that you are involved in the political space, that you are registered to vote, that you encourage others to register to vote, and that you have an ongoing relationship with your legislator. And it's really easy to access them. State um, and local websites will let you know who they are and how to contact. But I found that was the biggest first hurdle was just introducing myself to my legislator and building that relationship. And they're eager to hear from you. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's on a family kitchen table level, that's a place to start. Um, and then I think it's really, like I said previously, looking at the causes you care about and what, for instance, with the you know environmental justice space, if, if climate change is something that you're concerned about, you know, asking the, the, the smart people in the room that do that work, what are what are the legislative asks and really using a lot of inquiry there and starting to unpack that mm -hmm. um, and then making contributions to that political advocacy work in addition. And then I think as nonprofits, we need to be much better about building our nonprofits and our advocacy and our coalitions to be in that space. And I think an example of organizations that have done this well is, is Planned Parenthood and other organizations that are in the fight for reproductive rights. I think they will have their nonprofit kind of service arm and then we'll have another arm that really is looking at, is a C4, which is a type of um, non-for-profit, more non-profit organization that is allowed to do a little bit more um, partisan political work. And then they'll also usually, depending on the organization, have 
a pack, which it actually can go even further and do, you know, advertisements, can um, support particular issues or elected officials. And so building an infrastructure that um, allows for, for those to exist. And I think that's a place for partnership in particular. So, so we have to go back and unpack yeah. pack. Pack, yes. Pack. So I think we're talking about partnership and we're talking about collective activity, right. but let's go back and unpack what the PAC means. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and and I have to say, I am I'm not an expert on all of these things. I think there are experts who make obscenely more money than I do as a, a non-for-profit. So once I learn it all, then, you know, I yeah. can <laughs> change careers. Not that I want to do that, but... I, I think the, the, the baseline that would be important for the audience and, and those that are kind of thinking about this is really that that is, well, I should say we see it a lot in the news. It's a term that comes up, especially in this election season that we're entering into. Um, if you start to pay attention to the ads that feature um, in your local television stations or that you see um, in other places that you get your favorite advertisements, you'll start to see who's it sponsored by, and 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 usually it's it's a pack of some variety. And pack is so it's a political, political action, action committee, committee. right? There and they're a five twenty seven organization. It, it's basically a, it's a it's a means of um, members of a political cause that are kind of pooling their contributions together. And I think there's really power in that. And that's why within this space, collaboration and partnership are so important. So it's wonderful for you to have a relationship with your legislator and, and for your nonprofit to benefit from that in your mission. But if all of us nonprofits or all of us um, you know, advocates for social justice were to get together, that, that makes a difference. And I think in a space where you know, lobbying and advocacy and communications looks really different than it did even five or 10 years ago, the smart ads that you even have on Facebook, like the political ads are targeted to you based on your browsing history. So the special interests that exist outside of the social human services justice movement have, have figured this out and are really using big data and a whole bunch of stuff to target their advertisements and are seeing benefits from that. They're engaging with the public. And so I think us as the nonprofit or social justice world need to catch up a little bit, but I think yeah. it's, like I said, there are organizations that are doing it well. So one example is Planned Parenthood. They've certainly done it on a national level and probably- And locally, it, absolutely, and yeah. 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 And so, I mean, when we were first talking about it, it was like, you sort of said like, we kind of, we're, we're late to the game, we're late to the dance. So what do we think, if we're thinking about solutions, what is it that you're doing that you think within the next year or two will have a measurable impact? Right, and I, th I think we're, we're in this now. I mean, so this is, I've been, it'll be two years that I've been with the coalition in January, so I'm by no means have it all figured out. And I think there are people that, um, like I said, that, that really have, have moved their work forward. But I think for us in, in, in my organization in, in Rhode Island, it's really about looking at those finance, financing mechanisms, developing a development plan. So we have a fundraising plan for our organization, but really you almost need another one for, for PAC C4 or whatever, like once you figure out the logistics. Um, we've had some luck. So when you enter into PACs, and they're, they're very commonly used in electoral campaigns. So I think a lot of the friends there are really 
field organizers, campaign managers for local elections. So really starting to befriend the people in that space that are supporting candidates running for election because they're going to understand these vehicles inherently by their roles. And so kind of connecting with them so that your organization can benefit from that knowledge and those relationships mm -hmm. is something we're in that space now. And then just starting to, to really try to educate our our both our members in terms of nonprofits and then the people that support our work in the state that care about social justice about why it's important not just to, to pull the kiddo out of the water, but to come with us upstream and that we're going to need them to support us in both ways. That's great. Yeah, I, I think it's really, um, it's, it's very hard to get the attention it of is. elected officials. Yeah. And it's sort of a, a blessing if you can do it, one organization for one elected official. Right. But you're talking really about scaling that up so that when that person gets, you know, retires or right. something else, there is something that actually has a life of its own. Right. And, and that and that the elected officials are kind of bought into being a part of that. Right. They are grounded in that's that particular social justice movement or pack. Right. And I, I think sometimes it's unfortunate, but luck plays too much of a role in who yeah. gets served and who doesn't. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there were families and kiddos that were really lucky to benefit from the program that you had there, but surely the ones that lived a city or a county over that didn't, didn't benefit from it were no less worthy. And I think that is, is a challenge when we're looking at things kind of at a statewide or a citywide or a county level is how do we scale this? And, and I think one of the avenues that we've explored in Rhode Island is making kind of connections to where we might be spending money as a government in a way that if we did that a little bit differently, we could save money and have better outcomes. And I think in housing and homelessness, the big one there is healthcare. So we have people that are high utilizers of the healthcare system that if they were housed would be significantly um, less likely to use those services, would save money, and they'd be healthier, happier, would live longer. So I think there are also those opportunities to understand where the government is spending the money and could we help support them in what would be a mutual goal of, of doing things a little differently. I, I do have to say I remember feeling very kind of frustrated, like, wow, you have to make dollars and cents arguments to engage these elected yeah. officials in a conversation, and it's kind of like, yeah, you do. And the same, and, and it's actually reasonable if you right. can make that statement. And, and the other thing that I know that you work very hard at, and that in Massachusetts we have very, very skilled advocacy groups also Absolutely. that are really saying this policy is, needs to be shifted or tweaked right. or eligibility expanded. So it's not just about funding, it's really Absolutely. about, you know, small and big attention to laws, regulations, eligibility, all of those right. things that that rest in that government space. Absolutely. And it, it's funny, most of the people that will comment on regulation are usually the industries being regulated, right? And so I think that's that's one of the challenges in that space is, it, and again, I think one of the things about getting more actively involved in, in political work or policy work at your local cause is that you can, having hearing from a constituent, um, a legislative official from someone that's not associated with an organization but that just cares about animals and thinks this animal shelter rule is gonna hurt them you know, without 
without a benefit, that's that's powerful to them. They're potentially going to know they're going to hear it from the, the animal shelter organization, but to hear it from other volunteers, I think, is, is really helpful. And to organize the community, and that's where community organizing is so important um, in, in really mobilizing movements. So that's we're going to talk in a minute about how yeah. we can each contribute. Again, this is Meet the Problem Solvers. I'm Judy Perlman. This is Caitlin Fermeri. And we are here now. We're going to bring this on home with, like, how do we all help escalate information and insight about this and get some more new dollars flowing. Absolutely. And and one piece I am going to kind of mention that probably is less relatable at the dinner table level, but is certainly the nonprofit and at kind of the, the higher level is also data. So I think one of the things that we have in our system is the ability to, to look at who's coming in and out of the shelter system and match that data and look at where are the costs and the outcomes? And so that's one thing I would say, if you have data in your cause, that really is a currency that is accepted everywhere. It's like FISA or something like that. So I would say data is a big one, but really just getting involved, I think asking questions, you know, do you have a communications plan or a legislative plan for the social cause that you care about? Um, even once you're starting to understand that hosting a dinner, not just to fundraise at your house with five or 10 or 15 people, but to talk about the political side of it. And then I think it's really important that our space of non-for-profit social justice movements be mobilizing ourselves at the state house and getting involved in elections in ways that, um, that maybe we haven't. And so can you as a movement have an arm of the work that happens in a PAC or a C4 or some other ways so that, you know, you as a nonprofit are within your legal confines, but the work is still being advocated for as part of a larger coalition. So the other thing we all know is that we're looking at a big election. We are. Yes. Now is so the time to get involved. Register get, to vote. Register to yeah, vote. Absolutely. Register others to vote. And I mean, I love the idea of, that Caitlin says, ask a nonprofit that you care about, about what they're doing. I would even go so far as to say, offer to help them navigate Absolutely, these yes. waters. That's, that, as someone who runs a nonprofit, I love when people <laughs> offer and then follow up yeah, on it. Yeah. Like you don't necessarily know everything, but yeah. what if you got connected to somebody who really knows this terrain? That well, would help a and lot. And the last thing I would say too, is also to ask the person that's impacted. I think so often in this work, we forget the voice of the person that whether it's a mom looking for child for her kids or uh, a person experiencing homelessness and, and centering some of the asks in their work and making sure that their voice is heard by their constituents and having them speak. Because I think that's sometimes even more powerful than you or I talking is yeah. the person that's actually yeah. impacted. Yeah. Okay. So we've come to the end, Caitlin. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. It was really fun. I've learned a lot in this conversation. This is Meet the Problem Solvers. Here's our contact info. Please send us your thoughts, your suggestions, your critiques, whatever you'd like to, if you'd like to. New, your money. New, your, <laughs> donate. <laughs> thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm.